You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and rock-solid film and TV recommendations for whatever ails you. As usual, a reminder, we are not real therapists, but we are real bona fide movie and TV critics. Yes. Yes, we are. Totally bona fide. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> that means. Shall we get to this week's letters? Kristen, you want to read the first one? Yes, let's do it. Our first letter is from someone who's asked that we call her Marina the Tortoise. Oh, I, I love that name. By the way, a, doesn't a tortoise live to be like 300 years old? Marina. I think that's right. If you are 300 years old, congratulations. <laughs> I commend you. All right. Uh, Marina writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, this last 18 months have been very eventful for my little sister. She bought a house and got engaged. She's getting married next month, and she just found out she's pregnant. Me, on the other hand, I just got my first proper full-time adult job after being stuck in gig work for the last three years. I feel like my sister is speed running through all of life's accomplishments, and I'm still stumbling at the first hurdles, which, to be fair, has always been the case with us. I'm feeling hopeless and like I won't achieve the things I want from life, which in turn is making it hard to do even the most basic of tasks for planning a future, like saving money, which in turn just makes me feel more hopeless. Do you have any recommendations for me or advice? I can't ask people I know because I'm sure I'll look like an envious bad person. Oh, Marina. Uh, Well, this is clearly a longstanding thing here right um Mm -hmm. you're saying that this has always been the case with you uh you know i don't know i don't know if that's if that's true or not i might advise a a reality check on that but um i don't know i'm also kind of i i feel bad that you feel that there's nobody you can ask because you're afraid of of how it's going to look but i mean you know that's what friends are for you know friends friends are friends are there to commiserate with you and 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 say, geez, I know exactly how you feel. I'm sure your friends, somebody's got a sibling they can't stand or, or, <laughs> or, or are irritated by or something, right? Every, everyone's got some kind of thing with their sibling. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have siblings, and I will say here and now, my sister hated me until she was 23. Oh, for, is that true? Oh, absolutely. She thought I was put on this earth just to make her life difficult. <laughs> she really could not conceive of the idea that I possibly was living my life with any other intention besides her. I think she <laughs> she was really convinced, she told me, that every waking moment of my life must have been centered on how can I make Carrie's life irritating and difficult. And it never occurred to her until she was 23 and she met some of my friends. I was in college at the time. And she said, oh, you actually have like a full rich life with friends. You have a full-time <laughs> job. You have other things that you do. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. I really thought your life revolved around me and making me feel lousy. <laughs> that is funny. That is funny. And I am bringing this up not just to you know illustrate we all have our own complicated sibling relationships, but also to point out something to you, Marina, that I hope that you have come to realize. I'm sure that subconsciously you realize it, even if consciously you don't. What your sister is doing is just living her life. She's not competing with you. She's not waking up each day thinking, what can I do to make Marina feel lousy, to make Marina feel like a loser? She's just doing what she's doing. She fell in love with someone, she's going to marry that someone. She's pregnant, she's going to have that baby. Has nothing to do with you. She's not competing. And Marina, I encourage you to think of your life the same way. You do what you need to do, whatever that is you need to do. For a while, you clearly needed to do gig work, and there's nothing wrong with that. I do gig work. Gig work is great. We all do what we need to do at the time. Uh, you saving or not saving money, there's a reason for that. Maybe you're not saving money because you're paying off debts. That's fine. We all are doing what we need to do, and we're all on our own path. And you used the analogy of being in a track and field race with your sister I don't think you're on the same track. I think one of you is, you know, on a unicycle and the other's playing soccer, and that's fine. And you don't even need to compare yourselves. You're not even in the same stadium, and that's okay. You're two separate people with your own lives. Please remember that. Please remember me and my sister. She thought everything I was doing was to aggravate her, and I wasn't thinking about her. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think this is all good advice. What is going to be your movie or TV recommendation for Marina? All right. I am going to recommend a movie called In Her Shoes from 2005. This is based on the Jennifer Weiner book, and I am a big fan of her books. Some people just call them frothy chiclet, always with a plus-size protagonist, and yada, yada, yada. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't, no. As everybody knows who listens to this show, I don't think media that is targeting women is bad media. And I do like that Jennifer Weiner tries to have size diversity in all of her characters. So anywho, In Her Shoes is the story of two sisters. Toni Collette plays Rose. She is a Philadelphia attorney who is married to her job and by most people's measurements is kind of a plain Jane. Meanwhile, Cameron Diaz plays Maggie. She's a hard partying, uh, slightly younger sister who still lives at home despite being nearly 30. When Maggie's dad and stepmother kick her out, Rose lets her stay with her, but Maggie betrays her generosity. And before you know it, Maggie once again has no place to stay. Out of options, she tracks down her grandmother in Florida, who she's never met before, and tries to crash with her. And that's when things really get interesting. Here's a clip. You know, you don't even wear most of these. Shoes like these should not be locked in a closet. 
They should be living a life of scandal and passion and getting screwed in an alleyway by a billionaire while his frigid wife waits in the limo, thinking that he just went back into the bar to get his cell phone. These are cute, too. Please tell me you just made that up. Look, if you're not going to wear them, don't buy them. Leave them for somebody who's going to get something out of them. I get something out of them. When I feel bad, I like to treat myself. Clothes never look any good. Food just makes me fatter. Shoes always fit. Now, as you can hear from that clip of In Her Shoes, these two sisters are different people. What motivates them in life, whether it's the decision to purchase a pair of shoes or how they conduct themselves in the world, they're each their own person. They're each doing their own thing. And neither of them is winning or losing. And that's why I want you to watch this movie, Marina. You're not winning. You're not losing. And neither is your sister. You're each just doing what you need to do. That's right. A tortoise, by the way, is a mighty wonderful thing. A tortoise can hold the weight of a human. Humans can sit on tortoises. And tortoises... (laughs) They live hundreds of years, and they are capable of great sexiness and horniness when they're hundreds of years old. Do you remember Lonely Hal or whatever that tortoise was? No. Oh, my gosh. He was getting it on as soon as they found another tortoise. He was getting it on all the time with her. Wow. Yeah. A tortoise goes the distance, and that is a good thing. (laughs) All right. It's a pretty good spirit animal you've chosen for our listener. It's good. (laughs) Marina, you chose that animal yourself. I'm not going to take credit for it. (laughs) You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay, I like that. I, the, yeah, I don't remember this movie, 2005. It's a, it's, a, it's a great cast. It is a great cast. And I, I did not even mention yet that Shirley MacLaine plays the grandmother. And oh, she my gosh. is terrific. Oh, my oh, gosh. Oh, I love it. Shirley MacLaine's out of this world in this movie. She is so, so, so good. All right. Okay, I'll put that on my list. Yes, please do it. And maybe check out the book, too. I really like the book as well. But, Rafer, what about you? What are you going to prescribe to Marina the Tortoise? I chose a movie from um, a, a little while back, from 2011, and it's a movie that kind of got lost in the shuffle, but I really enjoyed it, and I thought it would do a lot better than it did. Uh, it's called Our Idiot Brother. Do you know this movie? Oh, I know Our Idiot Brother. I, I'm i going to just confess to you here and now, Rafer, I uh, was not one of the people laughing super hard in the theater when I saw this, but ah. other people around me definitely were. Other yes. people around me were definitely laughing, and I was like, hmm. He seems very irritating, like an idiot brother, just like the title. <laughs> but explain to us, Rafer, why, why should we be watching Our Idiot Brother? Okay. Uh, well, reason number one is because the star is Paul Rudd, who I love and who I think most people love. Uh, and he plays a guy named Ned, sort of a modern day, you know, hippie stoner guy, he lives out in Long Island when we first meet him. He's one of these like farmer's market stoners you know um he's selling some vegetables at the market and he's he's such a loving trusting good-hearted dude that when a uniformed cop comes up to him and says listen i'm just, i'm having a terrible day and i just i really need to score some pot but ned just goes ahead and says yeah okay and sells it to him. <laughs> a guy a uniformed a guy a uniformed cop the guy is a uniformed cop so the cop turns around and busts him uh it's a very funny scene it's just a great a great scene setter and a great opener that really tells you all you need to know about ned and so now he's out of jail because he's been such a great prisoner and everyone's loved him so much uh needs a place to stay so he shows up in big fancy new york 
with his big fancy sisters. Uh, that's Emily Mortimer, who plays Liz. She's married to a documentary filmmaker, played by Steve Coogan, who is great. Uh, there's Zoe Deschanel as Natalie, a terrible, terrible stand-up comic. Uh, but she's trying, <laughs> and you know, she's, she's determined to make it. Um, and Elizabeth Banks plays Miranda, who is a vicious journalist who writes for Vanity Fair. Here's a clip. Okay, it's a movie. Uh, space. Ah! Space! Space! Sp Star Wars. Space, space Invaders. Rock. Space Space, no. Crazy, uh, crazy Hands. Oh, good. Crazy Hands. Uncle Ned. Me. Oh, me. Ned. Ned. Nedley. Nedrick. Me. Me. Ned. Why are you guys guessing? Uh, the jerk. Har, har. Okay, guys. Come on. Jerkass. You want to get in on this party, Liz? The man who just ruined my marriage. Don't forget Lassie. Because you miss your doggy. <laughs> uh, why well, can you please just uh, play the game? We are playing. No, you're not playing. You're not at all. We are. No, you're not. Yeah, we're kind of playing. No, you're kind of not playing. Those were great guesses, I thought. When you put your own clue in, you're not allowed to guess. You know that. Oh, I bent the rules. You didn't bend the rules. You broke them. And that, and that just ruins it for everyone, all right? I know you've got a really important life, Miranda, but you know what? Some of us just like to sit around, enjoy our family, and play a game of charades. <laughs> Okay, I, maybe I didn't laugh out loud in the theater, but I am definitely smiling at the scene. <laughs> all of the sisters are really good. They're all really good. They're Not as just an idiot brother, though. But <laughs> really? Okay, now wait. Okay. <laughs> A couple of things about this movie. that uh, I, One reason that you might uh, be so impressed by the sister characters um, is that the writer is a woman named, if, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, Evgenia Peretz. Um, and she is a writer at Vanity Fair, and she is married to a documentary filmmaker. And so she, they, <laughs> no. and the two of them wrote this uh, uh, wrote this movie together, and they they clearly know New York, like they know these New York types, and they just they they just have them dead to rights in every scene. But the thing is, what you get from all these ambitious, fast-moving, fast-talking New York sisters is that they're all pretty unhappy. Their marriages are falling apart. Their their careers are, are taking off, you know, wonderfully, but yet they're constantly filled with envy and hatred and fear that someone is going to come up from behind and take away their careers. You know, their creative dreams have become more important than the actual lives they're living. And meanwhile, Ned is just this guy who's like hanging out, man. He, he names his dog Willie Nelson and he wants to open up his own homemade candle shop. And he's just totally happy. And he's not playing the game. He's not playing this game that everyone else is playing. You know, everyone's trying to get him to be this guy and be that guy and say this and don't do that and don't act like that. He... He doesn't, he doesn't see life as a race. The, the sisters all think that life is a race, and he doesn't see it as a race at all. And I guess that's kind of what I'm saying to Marina, our listener. You know, if, if, if you want to call Ned an idiot for that, I mean, who's the idiot there? He's totally happy. He's doing great <laughs> because he's playing by his own rules and he's doing his own thing. And that's why I think Marina should take a lesson from, uh, from Ned. Okay. I think you convinced me, Rafer. Yes. <laughs> I, I would find Ned exhausting. I would Agreed. He's essentially a man baby. He's irresponsible. He's reckless. He is he's all sorts of things I feel like I would have to babysit all the time. He does need a caretaker. Yes. Yes. And unfortunately I feel like I've gone out with this guy more than once and maybe stayed with him for too many years. Ah, <laughs> oh, there it is, Kristen. There it is. Oh <laughs> yes, it's all there. It's all there. It's all coming out. Yeah. That relationship lasted too long. Anywho, 
I see what you're saying, though, and he is happy. And happiness is not something that is a race. You're right. It's it's what you do for yourself that works for you. All right. So our recommendations are from Kristen in her shoes. And with a grudging acceptance from Kristen, my recommendation is our idiot brother. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. But before we do, thank you everyone who continues to give us five stars in Apple Podcasts and review us. For example, Gretel E. recently gave us five stars and wrote, thank you so much for creating this during these dark times. It's been so amazing to listen to others going through the same things. I don't normally write reviews, but I love your podcast. Thank you so much for helping us all feel a little better this year. Well, thank you, Gretel. I like thinking of you listening to our podcast in your little gingerbread house. Yes, that's, me that's too. very nice. Me too. <laughs> Shove that witch in the oven. That's Shove right. her in the oven. Yes. <laughs> Shove her in and, and then listen to our show. <laughs> All right, stay with us. When we're back, we'll tackle a letter from someone who wants to maintain boundaries with a friend. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Well, or she, call the police. Or call the police like <laughs> she should have, exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Hey, Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. Hey, everybody, we're back with our second letter of the week. Rafer, you take this one. All right, this one comes from Worrisome. Worrisome writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I am a creative freelancer, and I work in a shared studio, which I love dearly, the vibe, the social dynamics, and the people. I have a close friend who I studied and lived with for about five years who is now begging me to get a spot at my studio. 
but I don't want to share a studio with her. After we graduated and moved apart, I have set many boundaries for her because aspects of our personalities clash. But I have not told her I've set these boundaries, and I've made up excuses for why she can't have a spot at my studio. I still see her, but not so often, and in shorter periods, and in this way, I can enjoy our friendship. I feel like a mean gatekeeper, but at the same time, I don't want to ruin my perfect work situation. Am I being uptight by keeping her out of a great workplace, or am I taking my own mental health seriously? And if the latter, should I be honest with her or just keep making excuses for why she can't have a spot? She values honesty, but I fear it could ruin our friendship. Ooh. Wow. Hmm. Worrisome. First of all, I agree with you. Your friend should not be working in your space. There are other workspaces your friend can work out of. And I uh, I love my friends. I work on projects with my friends. I am right now hosting a podcast with a friend right now. But I will say this. That's right. Rafer and I met through work. We did not first start off as friends and then decide to work together. And I think that right. uh, that's one reason why both work for us, Rafer. We can hang out and have a drink and have fun and we can host a show. But I feel like it might not be the same if we started as friends necessarily. I feel like... It's possible. It's possible. That stuff... You, uh, those kinds of things can go in any direction. Yeah. You hear about people who form a friendship and then get into business together and things go swimmingly for their entire lives. You hear about people who last as as business partners, you know, for a while and then amicably, amicably split. And then you hear the horror stories. Oh, you hear people yes. that you never speak to each other again, people who, you know, are uh, bitter over money, bitter over this and that and the other. It really ranges. It really ranges. I don't know. Um, yeah, I hear a lot of the horror stories, to be honest with you. I, I hear <laughs> you <do>? them <laughs> from friends, from acquaintances. Um, I've read a lot yeah. of business stories. And frankly, working with friends can be really tough because you can see suddenly up close certain things that might not bother you in another situation. For example, uh, maybe your friend works in the same workspace as you and is a chatty Kathy all the time and you're trying to work, you know? Maybe yep. maybe their work personality does not jive with you. Uh, maybe you have a hard time being as creative when that person's around and you need to be creative. You're a creative freelancer. Yep. And so I just think that sometimes, you know, bringing that outside person in, whether they're a friend, a significant other, whatnot, it, you know, it, it's not necessarily the best idea, even if she was, you know, your best friend or your partner, it might be even a worse idea then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it, it, you know, this is a tough one. I, I think this idea of uh, the idea that you are making up a lot of excuses, even though this person says she values honesty, that's a little bit of a mixed a mixed message or something there. Those two things don't quite jibe. Uh, and that makes me think that either this person values honesty and you're not being honest, or this person says she values honesty and actually doesn't. Mm. So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know which one that is, but I, I, those two things, th those are two contradictory things happening there, I think. And there's, there's, I think there's something worth examining there, I would say. But... What are we going to recommend for our listener? Well, first of all, 
I want to recommend that you write us back and tell us what excuses you're giving, because I'm curious about what are these excuses, <laughs> because is there a way to work around these excuses or not work within these excuses? Yeah. I, I'm curious. What are the excuses? Like, oh, we only have three desks, but you actually have eight? Uh, yeah, I, I, it's... I'm just yeah. curious what the excuses are. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, they'll, they'll run out eventually. Eventually they'll run out, and eventually right? you'll just have to say... I love you so much as a friend, but I find that I get too easily distracted when a friend works in the same space as me. Or, I think that's a very good solution. That's yeah. a, that's a that's a that's a graceful, uh, uh, kind, uh, and and not un not untrue uh, thing to say to somebody. Yeah, either that or something else that makes clear. I'm not trying to make you the bad guy here, but this just isn't going to work for me. Yeah. Um, if there's a way to make that work with the excuses you've already given, all the better. <laughs> but we don't know what those excuses are. I really want to know what those excuses are. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's a whole movie in there. You can make a whole movie about that. Yes, yes. But Rafer, as far as our prescriptions, what are you going to prescribe to worrisome here? Well, I thought maybe I would uh, lighten worrisome's mood a little bit. And I'm going to prescribe an, an old goofy comedy from 1987 called Throw Mama from the Train. Oh, my gosh. Throw Mama from the Train. It was a huge hit. Throw Mama from the Train was huge. I still remember people wearing T-shirts with that mama on them. Oh, my God. Really? I don't remember that. Oh, my gosh. She had a very distinctive face, Mama did. Yes. Yes, she did. That's right. Uh, well, this is the feature directing debut of Danny DeVito, um, who didn't direct a ton of movies. I would say this one and Matilda are probably the two best movies that he that he did. Um, and he also stars in this film. But it's about an author named Larry, played by Billy Crystal, who's one of these guys who's having a tough time. His ex-wife stole his latest manuscript and published it under her own name. And now he's teaching at a community college and he feels like his life is sort of, you know, spiraled. Uh, one of his students is a guy named Owen. That's the character played by Danny DeVito. And Owen is... Uh, incredibly irritating. He's like a he's like a toddler in a man's body. He's got no boundaries. He doesn't understand how to have a proper conversation. He and he kind of has a toddler's understanding of the world. And he lives with his mom who is this horrible overbearing. Hold on, are you talking about our idiot brother? I'm again? not talking <laughs> about our idiot brother. Boy, <laughs> Kristen, you got a baggage. Baggage. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> Owen lives with his mom, uh, and she's this horrible person. And 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 Owen is at least uh, uh, old enough to have uh, fantasies of killing his mom. So there's an, a kind of an innocent misunderstanding takes place, and Owen becomes convinced that he and Larry are going to become part of a murder plot. Larry has no idea this is happening, but Owen decides that he will kill Larry's ex-wife, and Larry will kill Owen's mother, and then nobody will ever suspect. Here's a clip. You love her. I, there's no her, Mama. You're writing a letter. I'm writing a story for class, Mama. Don't you understand? I take a class. Yeah, I take yeah, a nice yeah. class. And I'm going to be a writer someday. You know how that typing upsets me. I'm sorry, Mama. A writer writes. You're going to be nothing. You're going to be nothing. You'll never get to first base. All you do is type, 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 type. You sit there typing all day like a fat little pigeon. You won't ever hear it again, Mama. I promise. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rafe, remember when that happened to us? I almost <laughs> killed your mom, but... Oh. 
Those were the days. And I almost <laughs> killed your ex-boyfriend that you still can't stop talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fun. Yeah, this this movie, I will say, is a bit of a mixed bag. Um, it's a little cartoony. Like, I always felt that, that Danny DeVito relied a little too hard on that whole kind of Tim Burton, Barry Sonnenfeld, Coen Brothers vibe that was going around in the late 80s. Everything looks a little wild and crazy, and the cinematography is kind of crazy. Um, but he's really funny in this, uh, and he's why I recommend this. He's he's this friend, quote-unquote, that is glommed on to Billy Crystal, and Billy Crystal can't get rid of him. The guy won't take a hint. He can't behave like a normal person. He's not toxic, exactly, but he does have the potential to literally destroy your life, and so, you know, there's, there's like a little mini-genre of these movies, right? The insane friend movies. What about Bob with Dustin mm-hmm. Hoffman and Bill Murray, and then The End with Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise, um, and I guess you could kind of include the Hitchcock movie that sort of inspired this, which is Strangers on a Train. And I guess, I don't want to spoil anything, but this movie does end with a classic example of synthesis, what screenwriters call synthesis. You know, you've got, the movie starts out with your thesis, which is the way that the world is, and then you go to the antithesis, which is the sort of bizarro world. And then at the end, the two worlds come together in synthesis. Everything's fine. Maybe your problems are not conquered, but they are incorporated and synthesized into your life. To our listener, I don't know if that's how things are going to work out for you. That's not, <laughs> that may or may not be the way you want to take it all, right? You, you may want to just eject this person from your life, um, or you might find some way to incorporate her into your life. I don't know. But I thought that Throw Mama from the Train would kind of give you give you a, a, a funhouse mirror of your own situation, make light of it, show you some of the absurdities in it, and maybe kind of lighten your mood and make it a little easier. So that's why I'm recommending that. It really is an over-the-top movie, too. Everything Very much so. goes to 11 in it. <laughs> yes. Nothing stops halfway. It goes all the way there. <laughs> also, my my old friend Karen Westerfield is in this movie. She has a brief appearance in the movie. She was a uh, she did craft services in Hollywood for many many years, and um, she was a, a real character, very charismatic and funny, and just one of these kind of unstoppable people. And if you do watch the movie, she's the woman who screams into the camera out of nowhere. There's Ooh. a there's a quick cut. She pops up into the camera, screams right in the camera's face. That's Karen Westerfield. That's my old friend. <sighs> Rafer, look at you rubbing elbows with all the famous people. I feel like you know everybody. I've been around, Kristen. I've been around. <laughs> so, so, Kristen, what are you going to recommend to Worrisome? Well, I am going to recommend a very, very, very different movie. It's a documentary called Man on Wire from 2008. Sure. The one about the Twin Towers High wire walker. Exactly, exactly, exactly. His name is Philippe Petit. And in 1974, he and some friends constructed um, a high wire that went from one of the World Trade Center Twin Towers to the other. And then at morning rush hour, I believe, he walked across back and forth and back and forth, sitting down, uh, spinning around, waving at the crowds, doing a full high wire act up there. And he wrote about his experience in a book called To Reach the Clouds, and Man on Wire is essentially an adaptation of To Reach the Clouds. Now, um, what makes this movie really fun is it's crafted like a heist film. Yes. So it starts off with him, you know, getting the idea and then gathering the team together. And this is notable because when he gathers the team together, the team includes his friends. 
and the plan takes six years. Yes. And what happens to these friendships over the next six years is one of the biggest gut punches in the movie to me, just as much as walking on that high wire is what this does to his friendships and one of his friends in particular. Here's a clip. He said, well, I want to I want to string a wire between the, the two World Trade Center towers. I knew he was a nut or a con man or something. As a child, I loved to climb. Nobody could stop me. If you want something, nothing is impossible. He told me he was a French journalist. It's impossible, that's sure. So let's start working. There's 200 feet between the towers. And there were going to be some guys in the North Tower. The whole idea would be that Jean-Louis would send the arrow from one building to another. What? We just weren't ready. Ma'am. I didn't want to be liable for the death of a friend. Kristen, you're going to have to remind me. I, I loved this film. Um, and I even liked the the Robert Zemeckis, uh, the fictional adaptation they made of this film, The Walk. Oh, The Walk. Yeah, you're one of the only people I know who loved The Walk. Yeah, I'm one <laughs> of the only people. Uh, and I don't want to say I loved it. I just, I enjoyed it. Um, but this is certainly a much better film than this. If you had to pick two, you'd definitely pick this one. Um Without spoiling anything, because I can't remember, without spoiling anything, can you tell us something about this relationship? Well, I will say the film includes lots of rare footage uh, as they're Mm -hmm. preparing, uh, including um, footage, you know, as they're actually getting ready for the walk and so on across the high wire. And you see what the friendships used to be like. And then you see in the aftermath of the walk across the wire, what happened to these friendships And at least one of his friends, who is a talking head in the movie, you see that his heart was broken by this friendship. And I won't say which friend it was, but I remember I walked out of the theater after watching it with my friend Jen, and she and I turned to each other and said, he is not a good friend. (laughs) And our hearts broke for this guy. (laughs) And we also, you know, said, this is why you don't work with your friends. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And and not everybody felt that way. Some of them were exhilarated and excited to be part of something that was momentous, one of the greatest spectacles ever to happen in the 20th century. A lot of people thought it was amazing to be a part of it. But I don't think anybody walked away 100% feeling like their friendship benefited from it, though. I Interesting. I do remember that. I do remember again, without spoiling too much, that not all of the relationships in the film last. That I certainly remember. Yes. Um, yes. Hmm, that's interesting. I'm going to have to go back and uh, and check that out. That's an aspect of the film that I haven't that I hadn't remembered. Yeah. Now, worrisome. This is obviously not the same kind of working situation that you're dealing with here. I don't think either of you are going to be breaking into buildings and enlisting the other in a heist. So, you know, you may not see yourself exactly in it, but I do think you'll see maybe some reassurance that it's okay to keep this friend at arm's length and keep this friend out of your workspace. Or at least I hope you do. And I hope you also enjoy the movie because it's a really, really good movie. Yes. Uh, Lots of luck to Worrisome. Uh, Write us back and let us know how things go. Yeah. And tell us those excuses. (laughs) Kristen's fascinated (laughs) by the excuses. I want to know the excuses. Why does she want to know? Who is she going to use them on? I'd like to know. Uh, And just to recap, our recommendations are from me, Throw Mama from the Train, and from Kristen, Man on Wire. All right. We're going to take another quick break. But before we do, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, RaferandKristen.com, and fill out the contact form. You do not have to use your real name. And if you haven't already, join the conversation on our Facebook community. That's Facebook.com slash groups slash RaferandKristen. When we're back, we'll tackle our What Should I Watch Next letter of the week. 
Okay, we're back, and it's time for this week's What Should I Watch Next letter. Kristen, take it away. All right. This week's What Should I Watch Next letter is from Jenny. Jenny writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, since my husband and I watched Booksmart now over a year ago, we've been searching for a movie that we would both love just as much. It has it all, humor, talent, and story, sure, but importantly, no one is a bad guy. Unlike some of the John Hughes movies which have cringy villains or bullies, in Booksmart, the kids are all ultimately good, just going through their own challenges, and everyone comes together in the end. This movie left us feeling so good about the generation coming of age now, and it left us with such a positive view of the future. What can we watch next that would hit a similar note? Now, Rafer, before you answer, I just want to give you credit because I believe it was in our first month of the show that you prescribed Booksmart. Oh, that's right. Uh, you know, I I loved that movie. Um, it was it was funny. It was smart. It was um, it was kind of up to the up to the millisecond politically correct and also mm-hmm. aware of it and poking fun at itself about it. Yes. Also, I think you know, uh, acknowledging the reasons that we do have political correctness to incorporate people into society and make room for people uh, and respect people's wishes. And I thought it, I just thought it did such a great job, exactly like this listener is saying, it did such a great job of giving you a picture of the youth of today, as we old folks say. And it made them look (laughs) like really, like they, like, like, Everything was going to work out pretty well. They were they were they were doing it right and and doing their best and going places. And you really did get a, a good feeling about kind of where the world is going, or at least I did. Oh, uh, but yeah. yeah, it's it's a great movie. Absolutely. And one thing I really love about this movie, and I think I've said this before, the girls are allowed to have sex drives. I feel like yeah. so often in teen movies, especially teen movies of your, the women are just there to be ogled or to be objectified. And, you know, in Booksmart, they get to be their own complicated selves with their own desires, with their own horniness, with their own mistakes. And it's so fun just to watch them do their best and still screw up and still at the end of the day come out okay, despite all of that. Yeah, this I I feel like one of the films that inspired Booksmart um, is definitely super bad. Yes. And it's a it's a movie that I have always wanted to show my kids but that's kind of one reason why I haven't, because I, I well, A, it's rated R, and it's, I think it's full of a, a great deal of vulgarity, and I'm not sure I, I want them to uh, introduce them to that quite yet. But <laughs> um, but I do feel like the the women in that movie were, it, I mean, it certainly wasn't as bad as other movies, but they're not the most crucial or complex characters as i recall it's not they're not they're not total ditzes who do nothing but they're not what you'd call characters they're just sort of ideals at a, at a party that you're trying to reach so yeah eh, you know but i but i understand what, exactly what you're saying about book smart and i think that's right yes well on that note rafer what are you going to prescribe jenny to watch next i'm going to prescribe a movie that i've always considered to be sort of the proto-Booksmart, or it was sort of the movie, it was sort of the movie that was trying to be Booksmart before Booksmart came out and and did Booksmart. Um, and I never got to review it. I don't remember what happened. I saw it, and I remember thinking, oh, I've got a lot to say about this, and somehow I got dragged onto something else, and we had to run wires, and I never wrote the review. But the movie I'm talking about is from 2018, just the year before Booksmart. It's called Blockers. 
Do you remember this movie? Did you see it, Kristen? I remember it so well. I was so excited because the trailers, I I don't know if the PR reps, they they must have had my number because they sent me (laughs) so much promotional stuff for this. And I was falling for it hook, line, and sinker. I'm like, this is my kind of movie. Right. I'm going to love this. I'm going to love it. And initially, I thought it was called Cock Blockers. Yes. Because I don't know if you remember the art for the movie, Um, all the promotional materials showed a male chicken and that was in front of the word blockers. So I thought it was short for cock blockers. Of course. Yeah. But it's actually just called blockers, right? It is just called blockers. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think you could put that on a poster, Christian. (laughs) In my mind, it was called cock blockers. That's what I thought it was called. (laughs) Male chicken. Christian, isn't that a rooster? (laughs) (laughs) I learned so much from from you, Rafer. This show is truly educational. It's not just entertainment. It's education. I'm an encyclopedia. Okay. Uh, I will say, I will say, Booksmart is a much better film. Yes. However, um, I was impressed by a lot of things that were happening in Blockers. Uh, The premise here is very simple, and you will understand why uh, Kristen uh, got the idea about why this, about the original title for this film. Uh, But it's about three high school girls who make a pact to lose their virginity on prom night. That's it. Very simple. When their parents find out, they decide to do everything they can to stop them. And then, of course, hilarity of varying degrees ensues. Here's a clip. Just trying to be the best dad I can be. Well, you are. You taught me everything. You built me up. Made me strong. You made me into who I am. Like, that's... (laughs) You did not have to save me tonight, Dad. You taught me how to do that a long time ago. And I love you for it. Best coach ever. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Dad, come on. Come on, toughen up. It was just really nice what you said. It's good. it's good. I mean it. Thanks. I feel like like Phil Jackson when he was coaching the Bulls. And, and, and they were so good. That's how I feel right now. Ah, John Cena. He's always so good. <laughs> he really is. I, You know, when I first was introduced to him, I'm like, what is he doing here? What's the point? And then I realized, oh, that's the point. He's hilarious. Yes. He's so good. He's yes. always so good. And this is really one of the first places where I saw him get a lot of screen time uh, in a comedy and like really take front and center. Um, you know, so as you can sort of hear from the clip that we played there, you know what you're getting from this movie, right? The parents are going to go into enemy territory, so to speak, and <laughs> invade the parties and meet various teenage, you know, nemeses. And they're going to have to do outrageous and humiliating things all in the name of saving their daughters. Um, and some of these scenes are funny and some of them are less funny. But I thought what was great about it was the way that the movie handled the generation gap between the parents and the kids. So on the parent side, and they're really the they're the main characters, I think you could say in this film. You've got Leslie Mann, who plays one of the moms. She's a single mom. And that's the reason she wants to stop her daughter from having sex is because she herself got pregnant way, way too young. And so 
you can kind of see where she's coming from on that one. Um, and then John Cena plays Mitchell, who's like sort of the jock, sort of a patriarch. And, you know, it, he's also like a cream puff in, inside. And he's always crying. It's very easy to trigger him emotionally. <laughs> and, you know, like that's, that joke is as bad as funny as you expect. And they, they milk it a little bit too hard. But um, the guy that I liked was Ike Barinholtz, who plays Hunter, who's like the cool parent. And his mm. daughter, Sam, is gay but closeted. But Hunter kind of knows. And so the interesting wrinkle there is that he wants to stop her from having sex with some random dude she picked out because he knows that she doesn't really want that. And he's kind of not sure how to say that. So he's, gonna, he's in kind of a tough spot. And I did think it later, I did think that was kind of interesting between 2018 with Blockers and 2019 with Booksmart, that daughter character came out. In in mm. Booksmart, it's not an it's not an issue at all. She's just out, and we get to see her whole her whole kind of coming of age, crazy, wild night, her her sexual mishaps. In Blockers, she's still kind of in the closet. I remember thinking, if I'm not making too much of that, it just it kind of seemed like some real progress had been made over the course of a year, maybe you know. So yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I thought Blockers was pretty good and better than I expected and it's got some very funny scenes in it and also this is the movie that taught me what the eggplant emoji meant which I did not know before I saw it so thank you blockers for teaching me that wow (laughs) I'm so so naive so much learning is happening I didn't know (laughs) Uh, okay Kristen Kristen what about you what are you going to recommend I am going to recommend a TV show instead of a movie this time around. Okay. A TV show that is on Fox TV and also streams for free on Hulu. It's called The Great North. Do you know the show, Rafer? I do not. I don't think... I don't think I've even heard of it. Oh, it's an animated series. It's from 2021. It's from this year. And it follows the adventures of a rural Alaska teenage girl named Judy, as well as her siblings and her single dad, who is named Beef. Okay. And in each episode, we see Judy try her hand at things like dating, getting a job at the mall, becoming an activist for menstrual care access, uh, bonding with her hilarious family over very quaint and strange local activities. And we also see Judy reaching out to her imaginary friend, Alanis Morissette, in every episode for guidance. <laughs> I love it. Here's a clip. Well, that movie was fun. Yeah. So uh, this is off topic, but um, could I kiss you? Uh, yeah, big time. Are you okay, Judy? Uh, Do you need some help? Nope, nope. I'm all set. I just wanted to lie on the ground and gather my thoughts about the evening. Uh, yeah, okay. I guess I'll I'll just I'll just go. Oh, sounds good. So just have a great year. Or keep in touch, actually, is what I meant to say. Or stay in school. Okay. Uh bye. Judy Tootie, fresh and fruity. How's it dangling? That is a very fun new greeting, imaginary best friend Alanis Morissette. I'm just going to dive right in here with how it is actually dangling. Is this about the big group movie date you went on tonight? Yes. Did you happen to see me maybe... Fall off the porch when Stephen Huang tried to kiss you? And then pretend that you like laying on the ground? And then say, stay in school? So you saw. I saw. All right, so I haven't seen this, but would you say this is more like Daria or more like My So-Called Life? Ooh, it's more like Daria, but it's oh, okay. happier. 
You know how Daria kind of laughs at more things? Yes. I would say the Great North also laughs at things, but it also is so much more wholesome. It's There's not snark in it. It's not jaded the way Daria was. Yeah, Daria yeah. is like very snarky, but the yeah. Great North is not snarky. Everything's really well-intentioned. And I would agree with you, Rafer, about your prescription that you can see of the moment. You can see it's 2021 humor and who's being included and whose storylines they're trying to normalize Uh and so on. Right. Uh, Whether it's gay characters or, as I said, you know, access to menstrual care or, um, you know, any of these things that may not have been talked about three years ago are being talked about very frankly in this, but in the kindest, most wholesome way and the most accepted way where it's not a question about like, let's make this a painful storyline. It's just, it is what it is. That's that's what it is. And this is the world we live in. And it's often very funny. Uh, the writing is extremely snappy. I have to give a shout out to the cast here. Nick Offerman plays the dad, Beef. Uh-huh. Uh, Jenny Slate plays Judy, our main character. Oh. Dolce Sloan is hilarious. She plays Judy's older brother's girlfriend, Honeybee. Her name's Honeybee. <sighs> and Alanis Morissette plays herself. And Oh, my God. That is Alanis Morissette. It actually is I love Alanis it. Morissette. That's funny. And... As you asked for, Jenny, there are no bad guys anywhere on this show. The hilarity is just from the snappy writing, from the awkwardness, from the cringy moments. And bonus, almost every episode includes one ridiculous song. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you're into ridiculous songs, but I like a ridiculous song. So. Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> uh, yet another uh, uh, movie that I can't show to my kids is uh, uh, Team America. Oh, I love the ridiculous songs. Uh, The ridiculous songs in that are great. America. (laughs) Fuck yeah. It's great. I like it when they start naming off the foods. (laughs) Sushi. Fuck yeah. America. Yeah. My favorite off that was America. Fuck yeah. Parentheses. Bummer mix. Uh, Anyway, this sounds really good. I wonder if I can get my kids to watch it. They do like Nick Offerman. They won't know who Alanis Morissette is. And they are, my older one's a tough sell on animation, but my younger one likes it. So I wonder, I wonder. But this sounds really good. Just give it a try. Each episode's only 20 minutes. They're very snappy. Oh, um, okay. I do feel like it's almost more for adults than for kids, though, because, ah, okay. like, you know, I mean, no kid knows who Alanis Morissette is. This, right. And, and <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So I, I do feel like it's, like, possibly exactly what Jenny's asking for. It's, like, maybe older people who are going to look at the next generation and feel happy. Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad I know about this. Okay. So our recommendations from Kristen, The Great North on Fox TV and Hulu, and from me from 2018, Blockers. And Rafer... I guess that's it for this week's episode of Movie Therapy. Wow, that sped by. It sure did. Now I guess it's time to track down my (laughs) ex-boyfriend. That's right. Thanks to everybody who wrote in. We really appreciate it, as always. And thanks to Airwave Media, the podcast network, which we are very proudly a part of. You can visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to all their other outstanding shows, like Food with Mark Bittman and The Projection Booth. Until next time, I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.